This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. Taping this on Wednesday, November 23rd in the evening. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite. I am sorry that we left you without a podcast last week. Life happens, everybody gets busy. Coming off of New York and and UFC 205, we just all needed a little bit of a compression. We also had two events last weekend to sort of gear up for. So I don't know about anybody else, but I know for me, I needed to take a little time and have a deep breath after everything that happened in Madison Square Garden. Joined tonight by my usual punch drunk partner, punch drunk prediction. See, I'm rusty. Partner in crime. (laughs) Patrick Schwicklinski, it's good to have you back, man. How are things? Thanks, man. You could almost say you're punch drunk trying to get through I'm that second. I'm telling you, right? Like you, <laughs> you go ten days without doing a pod, and and the flow just goes. That's why you got to stay in the booth and and stay spitting all the time. That's for sure. And yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it was a good, much needed break after UFC 205. A lot of things happened, a lot to process uh, from from that, and. I think we'll have some fun talking about uh, a little bit about what's going on in some of these divisions, some of the madness caused by Conor McGregor. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, we don't want to go all the way back and recap it because everybody listening, you guys know what happened. Conor McGregor makes history, wins the UFC lightweight title in stunning fashion, easy fashion it seemed, from Eddie Alvarez. Kind of puts two divisions up in the air and that's where we wanted to start is just kind of talking about what happens next and where those divisions go. We know and we learned kind of the end of last week, early this week, that Conor McGregor isn't expected back until after his baby is born. Congratulations to him and Dee on the impending birth of their first child. But that kind of screws up some things and makes things really interesting at both lightweight and featherweight. So I wanted to start, if we could, just in the featherweight division, if you're... Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard, the UFC matchmakers, the UFC in general. Where do you go at featherweight? We have Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis on deck for Toronto in a couple of weeks. Jose Aldo is not retiring, but holding out kind of for Conor McGregor. So what do you do? Where do you go with this division? Yeah, I mean, definitely Conor McGregor putting a wrench into uh, the featherweight and now the lightweight divisions, uh, as he's done, uh, makes things a little bit tricky. Um, I think that what you have right now in the featherweight division, you have that upcoming uh, fight at UFC 206, which is, uh, in my opinion, the real one to watch. That fight, I think, will be the next contender in that featherweight division, whether it's um, you know Max Holloway or Anthony Pettis, who are fighting each other in Toronto. Uh, really compelling, interesting fight. I think one of those guys will end up fighting for who knows what. It Will it be an interim belt? 
Will it be, um, you know, eventually a shot at Conor McGregor? I don't think that Conor has intentions of moving down personally uh, to featherweight. I think that after claiming that lightweight title, he's probably going to stay there after he returns eventually uh, next year. Dana White said that obviously he's he's going to come back around May. Who knows? That might be even longer. Um, so right now, I think as it stands in that featherweight division, I think you have to look at Holloway and Pettis. Um, you know, probably fighting for a chance to fight against Jose Aldo if if Aldo ends up, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, getting through his issues with the UFC. That would probably make the most sense. Um, in terms of that featherweight picture. But like I said, a lot of things are not making sense in that 145-pound division uh, at all. So I'm really curious to see how they play it, um, whether, you know, they will, in fact, kind of take that title uh, away from Conor McGregor. If he You're doesn't gonna <laughs> You're going to need an army. You're going to need an army, that's for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. So I think right now we're kind of at a stalemate position, right? with uh with everything that's going on whether it's going to be an interim title whether it's going to be the real title but i think the three guys to really look at in that featherweight division are like i said you got holloway pettis fighting at ufc 206 and then you got jose aldo as a question mark in there as well so aldo obviously has the interim title won it at ufc 200 in a fight with frankie edgar edgar has actually talked about a little bit about going down to bantamweight which i think would be amazing to add him into the depths of that division i agree with you that pettis holloway is is absolutely a fight to watch gonna be fire the minute it was announced we talked about it on this show just a great matchup the interesting thing for me is going to be just timelines of it all we know when connor is coming back but is there going to be pressure on him from the ufc to defend that featherweight title or sort of make a decision himself on the featherweight title if you're keeping it you got to defend it is sort of my thinking we're coming up on a year now that he's had the belt and and it's always funny you see the trailer going into ufc 205 connor talking about being the most active champion and in theory it is it is correct he did fight the most of any champion this year but he also didn't defend that belt at all and so you wonder if there's going to be a push to make him defend or vacate that title. If that happens, is Jose Aldo going to be happy with being sort of elevated to being the undisputed champion? Or is he going to continue to hold out and, and hold out hope for that fight with Conor McGregor? The one thing I do know is that the winner of the Pettis Holloway fight will be in that mix to fight one of those guys, uh, as you said, whether it's Jose Aldo for the interim title or whether it's, you know, Jose Aldo for the undisputed title. Um, that's going to be how that plays out. It is going to be interesting to see how, how that trickle down sort of happens because with Connor not coming back until May, we know Max Holloway is a guy that likes to stay active. Aldo doesn't seem to have any issue with being out of competition, but if Connor's not coming back till May, does he want to go almost a full year without a fight? That part is going to be interesting. And of course, as talking about Connor, you then have to transition into the lightweight division where kind of the decision of, of what happens at featherweight is obviously going to impact that division as well. Because if Connor defends the featherweight title, it means he's not defending the lightweight title 
as as great as he believes he is and as capable as he believes he is, I don't think he can defend, defend both belts on the same night or defend them in back-to-back months. So there will be a break between the two. If that's the case, should the UFC look at introducing an interim title and giving Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson a chance to vie for that belt? Or do you just kind of hold off and wait and see what happens and see if you can get everybody to kind of just wait to to get word from Connor, I guess. Yeah, I mean, as much as it sucks being, you know, Habib, Normando Getoff, and probably Tony Ferguson as well right now, um, I do think that, you know, I, I'm not a big believer in, in interim titles if, if you know, the the champion is still kind of, uh, lurking around. I mean, Conor McGregor will be back, and I think that ideally he's he's going to be in that lightweight division for for a little bit at least until we see what happens. You know, maybe I'll be eating my words this time next year. He'll he'll be going for a welterweight title. Who knows with this guy at this point? But I think at this point in time, we kind of have a you know a, at least a bit of a time frame. You kind of know that Conor will probably be back maybe sometime in the summer. Uh, just after May. Um, so I think that, you know, maybe a contender fight between Habib and, and Tony Ferguson to see who gets that shot at Conor McGregor, if they really want to roll that fight out. Um, but I don't think that, you know, um, they, they should make it for an interim title. I think it should be a number one contender fight. And, you know, these guys were slated to fight before. Now the stakes are going to be even higher. You get an opportunity the winner gets an opportunity to fight Conor McGregor. I mean, who doesn't want that in the UFC in this day and age, right? So I think that the the move kind of from, you know, my perspective would be to have a fight um, with Habib and Tony Ferguson, but not make it for any interim title, just a number one contender fight um, until Conor McGregor returns. And then the winner of that fight obviously will get Conor at some point next year. What happens with the monkey wrench that is Nathan Diaz, who, if if you've been following social media, if you've been on Instagram or Twitter, following some of Connor's posts and things that he's saying, Nate has, has done a great job in the last kind of 10 days or coming out of UFC 205 of any time Connor makes a real grand Conor McGregor proclamation. Nate Diaz has a reply on social media and it's like, Conor says something about, I killed the whole division and Nate puts puts up a picture of choking him out that just says, hello. What do you do with that dude? Because I think a lot of us agree. I mean, it is trolling and it's great and it's fabulous. And this side of Nathan Diaz is amazing. But what do you do with a guy like that? Because I think a lot of us coming out of that event in New York thought, well, now the trilogy fight makes even more sense. There's a championship belt on the line. It's in a division where they're both at their absolute peak, I think, in terms of McGregor and Diaz and the weight and, and fighting at 55. And the timing feels right, but that then also kind of screws up everything for everybody else. So if you're the UFC again, and if you're McGregor, is that the fight you want the most rather than Khabib or Tony Ferguson? Yeah, I think, um, you know, without question, from Connor's perspective, from the financial incentive of, of the UFC, the trilogy fight with Nate Diaz is the one that makes the most sense. Obviously, in terms of, you know, being fair and in terms of rankings, it would be Tony Ferguson or Habib Nurmagomedov. But 
fairness and all that kind of stuff goes out the window when you're talking about Conor McGregor and what is, you know, appropriate, who he should fight next. You know that a fight with Habib is going to be extremely difficult for him. Um, just stylistically, it's not a fight that I think he wants. Tony Ferguson would probably be a more, you know, um, compelling fight in terms of, you know, him being a kind of unorthodox striker. But that's a question mark, too. If he ends up challenging, you know, Habib and loses that fight, then suddenly you lose Tony Ferguson. Obviously, I think at this point in time, and Nate Diaz, like you said, um, has done such a good job reminding people, hey, I choked this guy out. I shocked the world, you know, less than a year ago. And I think that at this point in time, his stock has never been higher, especially when you consider how easy Connor made it look against Eddie Alvarez and, you know, how much of, you know, a war the last fight was, um, you know, with Nate Diaz, which he, which he won a majority decision, but it was a tough fight for him even then, you know? So I think that a lot of people would definitely love to see that Nate Diaz fight. And I think it makes the most sense for Connor to take that fight. And I think it makes the most sense financially for the UFC as well. Before we get off this division, we mentioned Nate Diaz doing a very good job of of taking to social media and making his case. We saw earlier today Khabib Nurmagomedov putting out, I believe it was some DMs that he was sending to Conor McGregor, sliding into the Notorious One's DMs, and basically saying, fight like an Irish warrior. You're the champion. You're supposed to face the number one contenders. Don't be a chicken. Uh, your your people have a long history of being fighters and warriors. Fight like them. Don't fight like a chicken. You must face me. It's like an extension of his message to Michael Johnson mid-beating of you must quit. You know I have to fight for the title. This is I also what I'm love, supposed to do. So it's I also just love like, how much he uses the word chicken. <laughs> it's, I mean, Khabib is playing all of this correct. I like that he came out this week and said, look, if it's Tony Ferguson, then, then I'd be interested in that. It's the right approach. Um, it's, it's really going to be interesting figuring out this lightweight division and just all things Conor McGregor, especially with him pressing pause for the first almost full first half of 2017 after a great 2016. Before we get off sort of the, the look at where these divisions go, middleweight is another one and we're going to get to this weekend's main event, which factors in and, and maybe ties in a little bit. But we heard Michael Bisping now sort of, of course, back off his usual, I'm not fighting this guy and screw him and F him and all of that stuff and say, yeah, that's the fight that probably makes sense. So it's most likely going to be Michael Bisping, Yoel Romero in sort of the March, April, May area. My question, I guess, is what do you do with Jacare? What do you do with Luke Rockhold? And maybe most intriguing of all, what the hell do you do with Chris Weidman now? Like this time last year, he's the undefeated world champion, the guy that beat Anderson Silva, that a lot of people, myself included, thought maybe this is the guy to run the division for a good couple more years. And now he's on a two-fight losing streak where he was beaten, finished badly in both. And you start to wonder, where does this guy fit going forward? So with the with the title picture more or less cleared up with Bisping Romero, what do you do with those next three guys? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a really tricky situation. As you said, with Chris Weidman, um, he's had a really tough go of things, getting finished in his last two fights. I think for him, he, you know, he could benefit from having a fight against a guy who's maybe just outside of that top 10. I mean, Chris, Christoph Jotko, he won his um, fight recently against Talos Latis. I think that might be a, a good matchup for Chris Weidman to go and a good test for Jotko as well. Why are you doing that to your Polish brethren? <laughs> hey, man. That's some, that's some cold shit. Hey, man, Great. congratulations on a four-fight winning streak. Go fight this killer. Hey, you got to have the step up in competition This is at where some you point. should be Why advocating for Vitor Belfort. Like, this is where you should be like, <laughs> give it, give him Vitor Belfort. Give him, you know what, Tim Bosch got a good win. He needs another fight. This is, this, you're sending, you're sending your boy to the Lions now. <laughs> well, listen, I, I got a lot of faith in him, but um, not enough to pick but him. But not enough apparently. to pick him last <laughs> week. <laughs> Recognize, um, recognize Chris yeah. Yotko. Somebody on this podcast. I mean, has uh, faith in no, you. definitely. A... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, look, I mean, I think that, um, you know, for, for Weidman, I think he just needs to rebuild his confidence a bit. I mean, those two losses weren't just decision losses, they were pretty devastating losses, both of them. Um, the one to Luke Rockhold when he lost his title, obviously, and, and the one to Yoel Romero, absolutely brutal. That flying knee came out of flipping nowhere. When you got a guy of that size throwing a knee at you um, that's going that fast and that high in the air, that's going to you know hurt a lot. So um, I think that right now Weidman just needs a kind of a, a confidence-building fight a little bit, um, one that he can potentially win, but one that's you know challenging enough that it keeps him kind of in that you know, in that kind of range where he's still, you know, at the top of the division. But in terms of a guy like Jacare, that guy is an absolute question mark for me. I have no idea really what you could do with Jacare. We've seen the Gegard Masasi fight um, already play out a couple times. Uh, you know, Masasi obviously is coming off a, a really good win in his last fight, got redemption over Uriah Hall. I think that for Gegard Masasi, I think the fight that, um, to make is is maybe Luke Rockhold. Uh, when Rockhold gets back from his injury, um, I would definitely see that being a fight that would make a lot of sense for both guys. Um, you know, having Gegard in there uh, fight a guy like Luke Rockhold could do a lot for his kind of standing in the division. Uh, man, with Jacare, I just this is a guy I feel you know really bad for because he's kind of the odd man out. It seems always. You know, extremely talented guy and definitely a guy who deserves a shot, but just has been a victim of circumstances. I really don't know what you could do with him at this point. Um, does he sit and wait until this Romero Bisping thing plays out? Does he, you know, um, get another fight in against someone? I don't know. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm out of ideas, but I'm sure you have something to offer up, please let me know. What do we do with the alligator man? Well, I was going to say, through no fault of his own, he's become kind of the odd man out with the Luke Rockhold fight falling through. If he goes out and gets a victory there, I think, you know, he's at least running neck and neck with Yoel Romero. It probably comes down to a who finished in more impressive fashion, who was more dominant kind of thing, which one are fans going to be more interested in. Maybe he still loses out on that opportunity because Michael Bisping and Yoel Romero have had some 
social media beef as Michael Bisping has with just about everybody in the division at some point. And so, I mean, there's a couple interesting names out there that, that I think you can make fights, and I think they would be interesting enough to Jacare. I think if Nick Diaz really wants to come back, let's do that. That's a winnable fight for for Jacare. It's a big name fight that gets him, you know, a main event or maybe a co-main event on a pay-per-view or main eventing a Fox show or something like that. That keeps him active because I just don't think he can continue to sit out and wait till, you know, the next title shot becomes available. But- um Here's the thing, though. But realistically, does Nick Diaz take that fight against Shakare? I mean, probably not. But again, it all comes down to options, right? Like, what else is out there for Nick Diaz if he does want to come back and fight? Like, you have to look at the opportunities that are there for you. Um, you haven't, if you're Nick Diaz, you haven't won a fight in whatever it is. I think we're looking at four years, five years now since the BJ Penn fight. So five years. If you go out and beat Jacare, that puts you right in the mix. That excludes, that excuses everything that has come before it. And so maybe you have to take, it's kind of like his little brother taking that fight with Michael Johnson. It's not really the best looking fight on paper. And this is a tough guy. And, you know, what's it going to do for me? But you go out, you look good, you say something on the mic. And next thing you know, you're fighting Conor McGregor making fat stacks. So that's the opportunity that may be there. I. I still want to see the Rockhold fight, but I don't know that you just hold out and run that back because, as you mentioned, Gegard Mousasi is in there, and there are some guys that we're going to talk about here in just a minute or two that are going to want to have a say as well in 2017. It's the Keyboard Kimura Podcast on Province Sports Radio, ESK, Patrick Shviklinski, getting into this weekend's main event at UFC Melbourne. It is a pair of fighters on five-fight winning streaks, Overall, uh, Robert Whitaker, four in the middleweight division, won his final fight at welterweight as well against Derek Brunson. A top 10 fight that is absolutely, in my opinion, flying under the radar, doesn't get as much credit and respect and, and intrigue points as it deserves. Um, I wrote about Derek Brunson this week on UFC.com after talking to him for his last couple of fights. We talked going into the Uriah Hall fight about it's weird that he wasn't getting a lot of attention and a lot of love. He said, then, I'm a guy to watch. He said, this time, I'm the guy to watch. Not, I'm a guy. And a man with four straight first-round finishes, definitely worth watching. If the win- Does the winner of this fight factor into that upper echelon middleweight mix or for you? Or are they still kind of just that one step behind and, and not quite in that, I guess, top four contenders that we had prior to Rockhold getting heard of, of Rockhold, Jacare, Chris Weidman, and Yoel Romero? I mean, I, I think this is a fight where, you know, I, I think it is going to put one of these guys into that upper echelon of the middleweight division. Um, you know, I... I, I tend to think that more with Derek Brunson than I do with Robert Whitaker. I think that if Whitaker were to come out and win this fight, um, it would be certainly impressive. Uh, but he might need maybe one more fight just to kind of put him in that kind of uh, upper echelon. I think for Brunson, the way that he's been handling dudes in the first round, four straight finishes that are you know have come in the first round, 
Um, he's been downright dominant, you know, and, and he's looked fantastic. I mean, you know, you're talking about two of the most underrated guys in that middleweight division, as far as I'm concerned, probably the two most underrated guys in the middleweight division. When you look at Derek Brunson's record inside the octagon, you know, it's been pretty darn good, like pretty much perfect, except for a loss to, oh, Yoel Romero, who just handled Chris Weidman, the former champion. Well, and, and a fight that he was winning through the first two rounds and surprising a lot of yeah. people before getting what is becoming known as Yoel Romero, where you lose <laughs> in the third round by something ridiculous, crazy, where Romero suddenly decides, oh, yeah, I've got to throw something nasty. Exactly. And I mean, you know, that's, that's the only kind of blemish on his UFC record, at least. I mean, you know, he's 7-1 he's and one inside the octagon. You know, obviously he still hasn't had that maybe signature kind of win. I think the Uriah Hall, was, uh, the Uriah Hall fight was uh, a big step in the right direction for him. But I think, you know, if he comes out here and, you know, storches Robert Whitaker in the first round in front of his, you know, hometown crowd... I think that that goes a long way into putting him kind of in that conversation where, yeah, you can now match him up against the, you know, um, Luke Rockholds and and the Jacare Souza's. You can kind of put him in that conversation. He'd be on the lower end maybe of that, but I think he definitely, his next fight, if he went out here and, and finished Whitaker in impressive fashion, I think his next fight would be against a signature name in that top five. Yeah, it's always tricky, and and I I agree with you that the, the winner of this sort of feels like maybe the right guy to face Luke Rockhold when Luke's knee gets better and he's ready to return because Rockhold's coming off a loss, but he is a former champion, he is a big name, he is an established guy. But at the same time, I'm the guy that's always advocating for not killing off contenders, and so the idea of, and, and not to downplay either of these guys' chances against Luke Rockhold or a Jacques Array, to run one of them or the winner of this one into a fight like that just feels like you've won six straight fights. There's got to be a better payoff than, oh, you need to go and win a seventh, and oh, by the way, it's against the former champion who, after he beat Chris Weidman, a lot of people, myself included, did the, like, maybe it's going to be Luke Rockhold that runs this division until he went out and took Michael Bisping way for granted and got beat. But it's really going to be interesting. I do think the potential is there for, like, an incremental step up in the winner of this, maybe fighting Gegard Mousasi. Those timelines match up with Mousasi having just won last weekend, I think, especially if it's Derek Brunson. Actually, Robert Whitaker as well. All of those guys have beat Uriah Hall. So you can kind of just do the, like, we've all beaten Uriah Hall. Now we should fight each other. Kind of seems like a an easy-to-do thing that moves the winner of then that fight in there. But all of that is a long way of saying, we've got options at, at middleweight again. And it feels great. Like, this is the first time in a while to me that I've been super excited about middleweight. That's not to downplay Chris Weidman's brief kind of two-year reign as, as champion when he was defending against Leota Machida and Vitor Belfort, but it's nice to have Rockhold and Jacare and Romero and these two dudes and Musasi finally putting it all together and putting people on blast because, as he told me last week before his fight, nobody likes a nice guy, so why am I going to continue to just be a nice guy and be respectful? Doesn't get me anywhere. 
he's talking, it's getting him noticed, he's putting up victories. Middleweight to me is is going to be the most interesting non-Conor McGregor division in 2017. Yeah, I agree with that. I also, you know, the first thing that I thought of uh, when I heard the Lyoto Machida USADA news was Gegard Masasi talking to Ariel Hawani uh, and his rant about that. That was one of the most epic rants of the year. I just wanted to point that out because I really love Gegard Masasi. Uh, it made me love the guy even more. <laughs> yeah, he is a dude that, that, I mean, just in this last year, he's decided to put people on blast and speak his mind. So. It, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what that leads to and how that plays out. Before we shift off of this weekend's card, it isn't the biggest collection of names ever assembled. Uh, I'm in the process of writing a column for Friday's paper about that and sort of some of the ways you can look at a card like this as as to take some positives from it. Um we always talk about them. These are opportunities to get another look at some guys, get to see a fight that, yeah, it's flying way under the radar and maybe it doesn't have any divisional implications, but it looks good on paper. Who's the one guy you're looking forward to seeing outside of the main event this weekend in Melbourne? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the co-main event, uh, hometown boy, Jake Matthews, um, you know, this is a kid who is you know fighting in front of his hometown obviously in melbourne but also he's a guy who's just 22 years old and (laughs) still has so much room to grow i think that's something that shocked me even you know when i uh kind of redid my research for this and and looked at you know jake matthews age i was like that can't be right he's not only 22 but he very much is and like only just turned 22 in august insane absolutely insane so I think I'm excited just to see his sort of, you know, uh, progression. Obviously, he's coming off that uh, first TKO, you know, finish of his entire career, which has mostly been in the UFC. Um, you know, he's a guy who came up through that, uh, you know, tough nations uh, system there and, and, you know, got off to a really great start. Uh, James Vick was the first guy to stop him in Australia. And then, you know, he had the fight recently with Kevin Lee. But... I think he's a guy that's still, you know, uh, still developing his game, still evolving. And, you know, he has a lot of the physical assets that you really like to see from, you know, a a guy like him in that division. He's very strong. He's, you know, got all of the kind of attributes that you look for in a, you know, in a successful lightweight fighter. Um, But I think that, you know, he's just in a position where he's still got to refine those skills and, kind of find, you know, what works for him. And uh, I'm excited to see if he does that against Andrew Holbrook with, you know, tough opponent as well. I've been fortunate enough to talk to Jake, I think before most of his fights in the UFC to date, and that's not me name dropping and trying to be cool. Um, It's just inside insight into where this opinion is coming from. Um, Super confident kid to me. He has always felt like someone... That got rushed to the big stage way too early because the UFC was first doing that Tough Nation season where it was Canada versus Australia. Second, they've been making a push into Australia. That's not to say he doesn't belong in terms of talent and potential. I think he absolutely does. I think he's a guy that three to five years from now when he's, you know... 20, 26, 27, we could be looking at him as a top 10 fighter, but he's just not there yet. He's just 
doesn't have that high level experience yet. And I really like the fact that he's getting a bit of a step back here against Andrew Holbrook, who's just got two fights in the UFC, who just has 12 fights, same as Jake Matthews, for his career. Instead of getting those really sustained pushes, we talk about prospects a lot on this show and a lot on Keyboard Kimura and how you have to bring them along. You can't just throw them into the deep end. I feel like the Kevin Lee fight was just tossing them into the deep end. We saw how that turned out. Kevin Lee looked great over the weekend. Talks a whole bunch of hot mess, but still looks good against the guys that he quote-unquote should beat. Now he's got to go out and back that up against somebody a little bit better, but that's another topic for another day. But I just think Jake's a kid that, that hasn't had the opportunity to grow and progress the right way yet because he's been doing it at the UFC level. And I think this is an opportunity. I talked to him before this fight, heads on straight about it, enjoys the process of fighting at home because it is very relaxing for him. He is in his natural environment. There's no big changes. There's no, you know, risk of going to Vegas and kind of getting caught up in the moment of being around International Fight Week in Las Vegas. So I do think we see another good performance from him here. I do think he gets a victory. My hope is then going forward that they continue to kind of take this in very small steps and in very slow steps. Because as he said to me, I'm in no rush. I'm 22 years old. I need to get experience. I need to figure these things out. I'm still growing. I have those long-term goals, but it's not a it's not a Rory McDonald thing. I remember Rory always told me he wanted to be UFC champion by the time he was 25. Jake Matthews is the opposite end of that. He too wants to be a UFC champion, but there's no timeline on it for him. If it takes him 8, 10 years, so be it. He just wants to get better fight by fight. And I think this is an opportunity to see that this weekend against Andrew Holbrook. For me, this is an opportunity to get another look at Khalil Roundtree, um, a guy that, you know, had a lot of promise going into the last season of The Ultimate Fighter, a guy that was blowing people up on the regional circuits that a lot of us looked at as this is a legit light heavyweight prospect, a division that very much continues to need young talent. Obviously, in the tough finale, he just got ground into the ground by Andrew Alderte Sanchez. At one point, he told his mother to shut up, which stands out as a highlight. But he's still a very dangerous striker. He's still a very promising prospect to me and feels like a guy that, again, give him a couple of years of coaching, give him a couple of years of experience, let him continue to drill some of these things, and he could be someone we we're talking about as a top 15 guy, as a top 10 guy, takes on newcomer, undefeated newcomer Tyson Pedro. It's sort of one of those fights that there's the pressure of going overseas. You're the you're the road team in this. You're fighting a local guy. There is There are expectations on Khalil Roundtree, and, and I'm very curious to see if he is a guy that does have that forward potential and does have that capability to be somebody we look at at 205 in the future or if we were a little bit jumping the gun when he was smoking dudes on the regional circuit because it was just the regional circuit and he was lighting guys up that maybe didn't have the striking defense or or the experience and now he isn't quite there yet and, and maybe needs a little step back before he can take a step forward. Yeah I mean I, I think Roundtree is definitely an interesting guy to look at and I, and I think that you know um 
there is a big opportunity being a light heavyweight in the UFC these days. Obviously, it's one of those divisions that is not as deep as the other divisions are. You have, you know, uh, guys who have, you know, left in, in recent years, if, if by choice or some that aren't with us because of circumstances. I'm looking at you, John Jones. Um, I think that, you know, there, there's an opportunity there in that 205 division to really, you know, um, get fast track to being one of the t- elite guys in that division. And whether or not that's, you know, right, uh, um, it doesn't really matter because they're in need of talent. I think they're in need of guys who can fill those positions in that top 10. And I think that, you know, with a few good wins with, you know, uh, two or three really impressive finishes, Roundtree could be right up there. As crazy as it sounds, you know, obviously now you have Ryan Bader as a free agent, who knows what's going to happen with him. Um, When you look at that kind of, you know, top 10, the, the guys who are on, you know, outside of that top five, you got Nikita Krylov at number eight and Corey Anderson at number nine. As much as I like those guys, and I think they're, you know, talents in their own right, it just shows you that that division isn't as deep as, you know, some of the other ones. And I think that, you know, like I said, there is a real opportunity for guys to make a name in that division. Guys to really get fast-tracked into, you know, bigger name fights. And I think this is a great opportunity for Roundtree to start that process. Yeah, you, you just have to look at guys. You mentioned Nikita Krylov and, and Corey Anderson. I look a couple spots further down in the rankings at Misha Serkinov, who has put together three victories to climb into the top 15. You look at Gian Vellante at number 15. John Vellante is one of the most entertaining dudes in the world. He is MMA Gronk 100%. But if he's in the top 15, it means there is absolutely an opportunity Before we shift off of this card this weekend, one more dude to keep an eye on. Jason Knight, uh, a.k.a. Mississippi Diaz. He went out and was talking a whole lot of junk against Jimmy Allers last time out. Picked up a victory, was in there slinging leather, throwing birds, doing some of the Stockton moves. So see if he he can duplicate that, replicate that against Dan Hooker in the Fight Pass feature prelim on Saturday in Melbourne, Australia. How, Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, how can you not want to, you know, like <laughs> a guy who is dubbed Mississippi Diaz? I, I would love nothing more than to see that. <laughs> I mean, there were, there were some other terms that were getting thrown around, but I'm trying to be more politically correct and and responsible with my language these days. So I'll I'll channel it into where he's from rather than anything else. But yeah, definitely Mississippi Diaz. Check him out. I think it's Mississippi. Trains with Alan Belcher. So Alan Belcher's a Mississippi boy, so we'll call him Mississippi Diaz. It's the Keyboard Kimura Podcast on Province Sports Radio. Patrick Schvick-Linsky, E. Spencer Kite. Before we wrap up, the last thing we want to touch on tonight is looking ahead to December. This is the final card of this month. We still have a number of events before the year is out. Uh, because the UFC has loaded up the month of December with five events, uh, including a Friday-Saturday doubleheader in Albany, New York, and Toronto, which Patrick will be at. And I just wanted to get from you kind of the one fight that, or the one fighter that you are most looking forward to out of the myriad options you have in the month of December. Oh, yeah. And I mean, this wasn't easy because there is definitely a ton of fights in, you know, in December that 
I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, you got UFC 206 and UFC 207, but I think my most, you know, anticipated fight for me is one off the UFC 207 card, Dominic Cruz, Cody Garbrandt. Um, I think that that is such a compelling fight on so many different levels, you know. Um, obviously, there's, you know, been the kind of bad blood between the two and, and Dominic Cruz being a guy who's, you know, destroyed many of the team alpha male fighters and made a name off that. Cody Garbrandt coming in as, you know, this knockout artist in the bantamweight division, a guy who, you know, took out, you know, the friggin' hype right out of Thomas Almeida, made him, you know, look very average in that fight. Then he followed it up with a great performance against Takei Mizugaki. Obviously, you know, a big step up in competition facing a absolute mastermind like Dominic Cruz. But I'm really looking forward to this fight because stylistically how different these guys are. And I think Dominic Cruz obviously is, you know, we can probably agree that he's, you know, if not the best, he's one of the best tacticians in the sport. Such a great mind for the game. And it'll be interesting to see what he does against a Cody Garbrandt, who obviously the knockout power is something we know about, but, you know, he's also extremely fast. And trying to, you know, evade him is a difficult task in itself. So I think that, you know, um, Cruz will have, you know, an interesting time. You know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out because I'm, I'm very curious to see if Cruz can you know, get out of the way out of those really, you know, uh, big shots that, that Cody Garbrandt throws and throws them with such speed and, and makes it, you know, look really easy. So I'm, I'm really excited to see that fight. That is definitely my most anticipated fight uh, for the rest of the year. I know you're excited about that fight. Let's talk about it. I am definitely excited about that fight. Uh, definitely going to try to get the homie Cody No Love back on the show to talk about it in advance of UFC 206 um, because you know they've been they've been slinging words at each other for a while now. Um, Cody doesn't pull any punches. He will lay it out. Uh, he has made his case clear. There's other fights on that card. I mean, as you said, there's there's a lot to choose from in December, and I'm going to be the guy that sort of runs down some of them. We talked about um, Max Holloway, Anthony Pettis. That's high on the list. One that's going to surprise a lot of people. I'm really looking forward to seeing Sage Northcutt and Mickey Gall get after it. Um, oh, yeah, that's happening. That's... <laughs> Rumble and AJ2 is going to be a great fight. Korean Superboy and Cub Swanson, yes, please. Um the homie Derek Lewis is getting back in action. That's always fun. Francis Ngannou is fighting. That dude's a monster. Um, I mean, Demetrius Johnson is defending against a as-yet-unknown-to-us contender. That's intriguing. Joe Benavidez and, and Henry Cejudo is a dope fight. But the one for me, and people are maybe going to say that this is a cop-out or taking the easy road, but Ronda Rousey's coming back. And there's nothing that that is higher on the list to me than seeing this woman come back because for me, it is complete question marks. Just there, anybody that tells you they know how this fight is going to go or what Ronda is going to look like or what version of Ronda we're going to see is just a damn liar because there's no way to know. We've, we've barely seen her 
in the years since she lost to Holly Holm. She's made a couple of appearances on Ellen. She's done Saturday Night Live and a couple of different little things here and there. But we haven't seen her in action. We haven't seen, you know, outside of a few sparse training videos where she's throwing punches on the beach and, and the punching technique still doesn't look great. I just, I'm so intrigued because Rhonda is such a force of nature in terms of attention and, and pre-Holly home in terms of performance in the cage that I'm just sitting here counting down the days until December 30th when I can see whether we get the juggernaut back or whether Amanda Nunes becomes the first champion since Ronda Rousey to defend that belt and retain that title through her first title defense. Um, I want to see what happens if Ronda wins. I want to see what happens if Ronda loses because I think those are interesting questions. For me, that is the absolute no-brainer, most intriguing fight. I said going into the year that CM Punk's first performance was my start of the year most anticipated fight. It was all the way up through UFC 203, but now that we're closing out, this is the one for me. This is, I need to see this. I'm so curious because I think it's going to have an impact not only divisionally, but organizationally because I do believe I'm in the camp that if Ronda, lo Ronda loses and loses in devastating fashion again, that's it. She's throwing up deuces and, and just sliding out of the cage to go do other stuff. I don't know what that other stuff is necessarily going to be because I don't think the movie roles are quite there the way they were when she was a dominant champion. But that's the fight for me. As, as great as all of those other fights, including Dominic Cruz, Cody Garbrandt is, that sets the table for Ronda and, and Amanda Nunes, that's the fight for me 100%. Yeah, I mean, and and I agree. I mean, that, that was one of the top ones that I was going over in my head, you know, the the Ronda and Amanda Nunes fight is obviously you know something that um, is is really going to be a special kind of um, you know fight and and we get to see what you know Ronda looks like after you know post Holly Holm I, I I'm I'm just really curious because you know you obviously you know think of her mentality you know that that's that's the thing that you think about obviously most with with Ronda Rousey coming off that devastating loss and the time that she took uh, away from the sport, you think mentally, is she, you know, still built for this? And I think we'll get, you know, the, uh, you know, the full kind of uh, indication of that in this, you know, in this fight, is she still that fighter? And I mean, you know, nothing, you know, to take away from Amanda Nunes, obviously, but I think this is very much for Ronda, a kind of internal battle as well you know, what, what she brings in terms of, you know, can, can she kind of get past that mental block and really get back to the status that she was before the Holly Holm fight? Will she come back and, you know, maybe, you know, her game could be evolved. Who knows? I mean, there's been so little seen of her since the, the Holly Holm fight that, like you said, I mean, you, you started off in the perfect way. There's just question marks around this whole thing. So I think that a lot of people will, you know, tune in and, and get to see, you know, what happens. I, I, I'm in that same sort of, um, you know, mindset as you where I think that if she gets, you know, beaten down in this fight against Amanda Nunes, I think she's going to leave the sport. Um, if she wins, 
And if she wins in impressive, dominant fashion like we've seen Ronda Rousey do, that opens up a very interesting 2017. That's on tap for the end of December, but before we get there, we do have, as we talked about earlier in the show, UFC Melbourne this weekend. It starts at main card 7 o'clock on TSN 5, prelims on Fight Pass, and I believe the Fight Network as well. Um, underrated card, kind of one of those sleepers. It feels a little bit like the Bisping Rockhold card in Australia, which ended up being literally all finishes and all kinds of awesome. I'm not guaranteeing that happens this time, but it could be one of those ones that sneaks up on you. If it does, we will be back to talk about it next week. Before we absolutely get out of here, Patrick, tell them how to stay in touch and, and keep up with what you're doing. Absolutely. Follow me uh, on Twitter, as always, at Pat Triglinski. That's at P-A-T-C-W-I-K-L-I-N-S-K-I. Oh, you got to take a deep breath. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, definitely look out for more Punch Drunk predictions this week. I'm losing badly, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to take some chances. I promised myself that I'm going to make some really uh, out there picks, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, just, just always tune in to the blog, Keyboard Kimura, on the province, and, and make sure you're tuning in. I really hope that I can get some wins here, um, but we'll see. <laughs> you, you got six events to get this back. We will have those up on Friday. Also on Friday, myself and Chappie will be back for Fight Talk Fridays. Those matching take, sweaters? No matching sweaters. <laughs> um, that was a one-time thing, though we did get a shout-out from Kate Burness and Natasha Staniszewski of TSN, so it's always worth it when those fine ladies recognize your style choices. Uh, we will be back on Friday. As I said, those take place on the province's Facebook page. Send us your questions. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook. Get them to us however you want. We will read them on air. We love the interaction. We appreciate you guys tuning into those. I, as always, am on social media at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E on the last name. I'm kicking Patrick's ass in the predictions this year. I'm going to do so again this weekend. It is going to be fun, so I will be gloating about it on social media. But more importantly than that, and as always, be good to one another. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura. Kimura.